to another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. We have a, a very special episode today. Two returning guests, two of my favorite people, are here um, to uh, tackle kind of a new formula that we came up with together and, and to, see, um, to see what kind of fun we can have with, uh, with some, some biblical passage prompts. Sam Perez and Ian Mooney are back with me, and um, I'm just so excited to dig into our um, our episode. So, uh, why don't you folks introduce yourselves and and you know just start out with some plugs or what people might know you from? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll go first. I'm Sam Perez. You pro- if you know me online, you probably know me as Skip Sandwich DX. That's where I am mostly on Twitter and on my website, and just kind of wherever I find myself online. Uh, Claim to fame in the Snoopy community is I am the admin of the Patreon Discord. So if you've been hanging out there, you probably know me pretty well. Uh, I am Ian Mooney, uh, communard, academic advisor, uh, independent philosopher, theological ne'er-do-well, and rightful baron of Ratho. <laughs> An evangelical Christian, as we learned from our Bible study class. (laughs) Tried and true. Absolutely the the correct way I would uh, identify myself as. (laughs) I speak for all evangelical faiths in the U.S. as their undisputed and indisputed authority. You heard it here first, folks. Look to Ian. Um. So why don't we give people a little bit of background for for what we're actually going to be doing today? Because there was actually a, a very cool process that went into our selection <laughs> for what these uh, prompts were going to be. Um, we came up with a giant list of uh, topics of conversation for passages that we'd pick out that we thought would be uh, interesting or funny or thought-provoking, uh, disturbing, <laughs> whatever it might be. And uh, we compiled a very long list. And Sam graciously created a very uh, cool spreadsheet that tabulated our votes based on <laughs> what we thought. Spreadsheet. <laughs> what we thought. <laughs> I honestly. That's how I would describe it. The first word that came to my head when I saw that spreadsheet was cool. cool. <laughs> I was about to say, I didn't give an intro to like what I do for a living and stuff. And that's because I'm an actuary and it's a boring finance job. But I thought it was a cool spreadsheet. And I thought it was I a think, very cool spreadsheet. And I think spreadsheets can be very cool. <laughs> So after the votes were tabulated and the tiebreakers were were broken, uh, we came up with uh, a few um, prompts that we thought would be especially uh, good that we all could kind of agree on. Um, our very first is uh, appropriate, I think, for the first uh, the first prompt that we're going to talk about here, which is uh, our favorite epistle greeting. Uh, May I obviously, say something real quick? Shoot. Um. I was excited to explore this format with you, Ariel, because one thing that um, I think is the first episode of your podcast that I ever heard was one of your solo ones, right? A pretty um, uh, ambitious 
uh, endeavor, if you don't <laughs> mind my saying, that you're just going to go out there, speak into your microphone, and post it on the internet. Like, hey, everybody listen to me, just talk for a little bit. But I think that that's <laughs> one of the most interesting things about your podcast project, is that um, you have created this very approachable, honest, um, I don't want to say conversational, because if you're just speaking to to yourself, then it's not really a conversation. But I don't not want to say conversational because I think that, at least in my experience, listening to your solo episodes, and I don't want to make this the everybody applaud Snoopy hour, but um, <laughs> I think one of the one of the draws of these is how um, pleasant it is uh, to hear somebody like think about the Bible, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know that this is something I've said a lot on uh, our Discord server, and so I don't want to like reference something that the audience doesn't have access to. But you know, we thought a lot about modern Christianity. Uh, I, you know, this is something that you talk about with um, uh, Professor Ord a lot too. Like, what shape are are things happening now? And I think it's, I, 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 I like your willingness to explore ideas and really like think through it on the air. And um, when we settled on this, I just thought, yeah, let's take it to the next level, huh? <laughs> let's all let's all have like a solo episode together. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the solo episodes are great in a way because I think it does um, force me to dig a little deeper into my own thoughts rather than depending on someone else and usually someone more intelligent than than me uh, <laughs> to, to come up with thoughtful dialogue for what the passages would be. Although sometimes I listen back to them and yes, I, <laughs> I have listened to my own podcast. I'll, I'll cop to that right now. Uh, I listen back at them and I, I just go, you're so wrong. That's so, that's so wrong. What are you talking about? Well, I didn't say I, I agreed with all the content. <laughs> Just saying yeah, that but, I appreciated the format. Yeah, no, because I agree. Because like back in high school, I had a practice for a while where like when I was doing my Bible reading, I would basically just blog it. And I was just kind of like making a de facto like commentary of just the like, here's what I thought about the thing I read today. And it is, it's a very valuable practice. And it was, I, this podcast in the community has definitely encouraged me to enter that headspace more again. (laughs) Well, there you have it, folks. Um, Read the Bible. And when you read it, think about it. Yeah. Hot takes. (laughs) Speaking of hot takes. Uh, Who, who wants to go first with their epistle greeting? I would. I think it would be interesting if we each just said which one we picked, and then we can kind of go from there and get commentary. Uh, so the first one, uh, do we want to announce? Have we announced the topics? I wasn't listening. We haven't we done them all at once. We we just said we're doing the epistle greeting. So, which uh, let's each say which epistle greeting we picked, and then we'll talk about it. Okay. The so, big reveal. We yeah. none of us know what the yeah. others have chosen. So, <laughs> who? All right. uh, I, I'll, I chose okay. Galatians. Okay, Galatians. Uh-huh. So I picked First uh, John. I Ooh. also picked First John. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I did say um, when we were discussing this uh, a few days ago that the my epistle greeting seems like the one that. That like I don't know. It just seemed like the right one, you know. There's something yeah, about it yeah. that's just. I I wondered if we picked. I wondered if we picked the same one when you said that. <laughs> but uh, 
Uh, why don't we read then Galatians first, and yes. then we'll read uh, the first John. Uh, okay. Uh, well, then, um, this is the one that I have the most notes for. So uh, if you guys will indulge me, I'd like to say a little bit, and then uh, sure. then, then, we'll get into the, then we'll get into the thing. All right, so um, something is changing and should change about American Christianity. Uh, one thing that has always plagued me throughout my own discernment is guilt. Uh, not the guilt of doing something wrong or being sinful, although sure, right? <laughs> Whom amongst us? Uh, and that's an attitude that I think uh, we need to change and maybe uh, uh, pull back a little bit, right? Less guilt, uh, more hedonism and wine and dancing. <laughs> um, but there's another guilt, uh, denying or uh, failing to meet the high calling of God, when I first encountered Christianity, I immediately wanted to be as involved and committed as I could be. Encountering the all source, the guarantor of all meaning, uh, nothing else seemed as interesting uh, or maybe uh, it was like an easy answer, right? Like, here's the book <laughs> that I can read and as long as I know what's in it, then I'm okay. Uh but um, I felt like I was doing something worthwhile. Um, I felt called to ministry, to monkdom, to a, a life of direct attention to the word of God. And people around me encouraged me on this path. Christianity, I, th I think, was the first activity or hobby that I practiced and felt like I had a talent for. And where uh, the people around me were encouraging me to get more involved. Uh, but especially as I moved away from the evangelical movement, I really suffered uh, trying to figure out what God meant and what it meant to me that I felt okay uh, walking away from it, which I did. Um, so... Um, do y'all know about this uh, freedom convoy thing up in Canada? Yeah. Yeah, oh, right? gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I was reading about that, and I saw a sign that one of these malcontents had, <laughs> uh, which went uh, like this. It quoted Galatians 5.1. Skip, would you please? Says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Yeah, and after that, it added, wake up, people. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, uh, I think there's something in Revelations, right, about, like, don't add to the Bible. Right. So, that's, just, uh, that's just the that's the reactionary Selah and their conspiracy theories. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's why I chose Galatians. Um and so I'm going I'm I'm kind of declaring myself the avowed enemy of um politically right popular evangelical practice. Um I chose this uh okay, let me let me read it now. Should I start from one? Yeah, go for yeah. it. Read the greeting. Okay. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who has raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, And I'd like to read a little more here. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you deceived, let him be accursed. And uh, this is what made me choose it. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Uh, No doubt all the problems of religion, low since its inception, have been determining the man parts from the God Mm -hmm. parts. (laughs) Right? Yep. Yep. (laughs) Uh, But I like this greeting because because it reminds us that the work of God is about a transcendent form of politics. Um. And it does give us a metric for doing this work, which is service, not to man, but to Christ, whose body is the unity of man and the resurrection of love, patience, and forgiveness. Um, this, this book, Galatians, this greets me personally. Uh, service to God is intimidating and at times unclear. Or worse, (laughs) terrifyingly clear (laughs) and real. (laughs) And we should feel guilty for denying um, this, our highest calling, or perverting or abusing it. Um, And that's why I chose it. You know, I think that I I think that Paul is uh, doing hard work here. And, yeah. you know, uh, Snoopy and I have already talked a lot about Galatians and inshallah, we'll talk a lot more about it, but <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I think it's a great, uh, selection. And it's interesting that you picked out, I mean, that we picked out that passage from five first in, in reference to someone taking that out of context and using it towards their own political goal, which is like, um, first of all, Paul is like the easiest one to do that with because he wrote <laughs> so many letters and, He's so strong in his language that it's easy to take a a sentence or two and say, okay, so look, Paul agrees with me here. Um, (laughs) But what you're pointing out and what I think is the the more important thing is that like part of being a Christian is a kind of servitude. So Mm -hmm. for you to pick out a passage that says to not uh, undertake another yoke of slavery where where Jesus says elsewhere, you know, um, my my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like this is it's it's kind of contradictory. It's a little I mean, it's not obviously that Paul is saying give yourself over in slavery to whoever it is that requires (laughs) it of you, but rather that servitude is part of being a Christian and it was most of what Jesus did on earth. When Jesus was here, he served. He, he was not here to, um, to, to become a, a glorious leader. He was not here as a military leader. He was here to, to show people what servitude looked like. Right. And like, whatever you think of the, the freedom convoys, 
like goals. I think just in general, that intro contrasts really well with how it's pretty clearly that Galatians 5.1 is not talking about your personal political freedom to do a thing. And that if, you know, using that verse to for such a very specific petty political issue, it's just it's <laughs> gross and it is not in keeping with just the mission statement Paul puts there at the beginning of the whole reason he's writing this letter is like, hey, let's get back to the actual good news we are working in service of. Mm. I mean, it's go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, it's, it's so, um, the, the, even the idea that our, our, the fathers of the church would have had any kind of opinion on a mask mandate or a vaccine <laughs> mandate uh, in, in, a, in a, a topic that had, they had no knowledge of whatsoever. That, um, yes, of course, people got sick then, but th- none of this, mm. none of this that we're living through was precedented in any, in any time yeah. when, the, when, when Jesus walked the earth and when the Bible was written. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, and it's frustrating and it's tricky because, like, there is a way to, you know, when you are making policy decisions, they involve how do you think people should conduct themselves and how do you know and how do you what do you think makes a good way of living a good community and there's a way to say that you know the morality that you gain from centering your mind around the gospel obviously informs that it can't not inform that mm-hmm. but to just it's when it's painted as this you know, one-to-one verse-to-policy translation. It's just like, you are making so many very large things very, very small. <laughs> yeah, it definitely strikes me as you're, you're on Bible gateway, whatever, and you're like, Control-F, yeah. slavery. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. here we go. Yeah. Uh, you control, know, c- Control-F-ism is the bane of the evangelical <laughs> pulpit. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I said earlier that I know that a lot of problems thinking about the intersection of our Christian faith and our social reality is parsing the distinction between what do we like, what's our earthly mind here and what's our God mind? Like where, (laughs) what's, what, what do we think is interpreting what, et cetera, et cetera. But this is, this is one of those books that really makes me think like, I don't know. Maybe we're making it uh, a mountain out of a molehill here. And if we, you know, so the freedom convoy example kind of makes things easy. But if your problem is just like a mask mandate or a vaccine mandate impinges on my free choice to live my life however I want. And, you know, I'm not trying to um, accept the terms of vaccine skepticism here. But um, there certainly are legitimate reasons to be um, skeptical of the uh, the institution of Western <laughs> U.S. medicine. <laughs> you know, Tuskegee comes to my mind. Um, but that notwithstanding, like if your problem is I don't want to wear a mask, I don't want to be told I can't go to a restaurant, I don't want to uh, have to carry around some extra piece of paper or something like that, then it's like, oh, man – uh, what what happened to a heart of service? What happened to uh, looking at the world around you and saying, this is the church, the body of Christ. If we had a more communitarian frame of mind, then would these things really be 
such a challenging <laughs> issue. Uh, maybe I'm being a little too optimistic, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's about, I mean, I think what, what you're saying is that, you know, we're, we're called to love one another. And part of loving one another is to um, be a part of a community and to um, live in a harmonious way with each other. And sometimes that means doing some things that you don't really like or that you don't really understand. And, and you know, I, I, I'm not saying again that we should take the burden on our back every single time that anybody tells us anything to, to you know, to, to do anything. That's obviously not uh, the right um, message that, that we're supposed to be getting out of scripture. I think that there's, um, you know, political causes that abound that mm. uh, call for some form of disobedience. But, um, you know, again, you, you said a mountain out of a molehill. That's kind of what it feels like. But if you hear about the, this is an entire other rant that we yeah. can spend 45 minutes yeah. on, but yeah. if you hear about some of the conspiracy <laughs> theories uh, about all of this stuff, then you would understand why they feel so strongly about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, um, it's a yeah. little out there. Yeah, I just, but I do, I do really like the framing that, that Ian, that you gave us there about how, like, the intro to this letter, like, that should just inform the thing you're doing with the rest of it and mm-hmm. all of your thinking this direction. Uh, yeah, there should be, a, a like, a, a foreword at the beginning of the Bible that's like, yeah. don't <laughs> fuck with any of this stuff. Stop. <laughs> I mean, that's basically, that's basically, like, that's basically in Revelation, so. It's one of our, pro- actually, one of our prompts <laughs> yeah. talks about fucking with the text, actually, <laughs> later on, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh shoot! I should have chosen that as the part that I want to ignore. <laughs> uh, uh, so, should we move on to First John? Yeah. Yes, can, I, can I? Can I? Can I talk about how I came to this one? Because, because absolutely, uh, this is one. So, I thought this was going to be the easiest and potentially least interesting of our prompts and doing this study to pick my favorite epistle greeting ended up being one of the most interesting just personal bible studies i've done in a while so i lined them all up and i was reading them and since paul all the pauls are first i had like the formula going like okay so this is how paul does a doesn't does an intro right okay he states his credentials there's an expandable portion on god's calling and it can be expanded to whatever larger theology he wants to introduce he says who the letter's to and he can expand or shrink the talk about who they are and how they were called and sometimes he cc's other churches that you know it's like also to the church uh, all around Achaia, whatever um he always almost always says grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ and then in most of them, he lists why he's thankful for the recipient being around. And so like, I had this, like, you know, it makes sense. I'm the one who did the quote unquote cool spreadsheet. Cause I had like these greetings and like a grid. It's like, all right, here's, here's the credentials that he did. Here's the, like, here's the credentials Nerd of this alert. one. I know. So they doing that. I'm doing, this is my very, like, I'm writing a seminary paper sort of thing on it. And so then like, I get through all of these, Paul does it that way. James does it that way. Peter does it that way. Even Jude does it that way. And so, like, I have that formula. And then I read 1 John, and it starts, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we saw it and testified to it, proclaimed to you this eternal life, 
that was with the Father and made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard and proclaim also to you so that you may have <sighs> fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing this that our joy may be complete. Amen. And it Ooh. just blew my mind, like <laughs> both in how good and beautiful that is and just how out of that entire series of cookie cutter, you know, like not cookie cutter, but very formulaic, very purposeful, very intellectual greetings. John comes in with this fucking like Twilight Zone intro monologue. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just incredible. (laughs) And like... I love Paul's standard greeting formula. Like there's a lot like I love that he puts these things on the table to start a letter. It like gives the authority, lets you know what he's talking about. It's just a good it's just a really good sample of like pastorly greeting and like church communication. Mm. And then John is just like really super extra about it. But like Paul's high ecclesiology and like the hierarchy that he enforces there, like it's influential. There's a lot to like about it, but I was just struck by the like meditation of the mystery and beauty in John's intro. He introduces what he's going to talk about by just basking in the mystery of God and the things he has seen and the things we have learned. And that's just that sort of mystery, that sort of mysticism is something that I feel like a lot of us who grew up in like evangelical influence traditions were raised to be suspicious of. And it's just good to see this book leaning into us like, ah, we needed, we needed a, we needed a few more John letters. (laughs) You know, like I love, I love, I love all the Paul letters. Maybe, maybe John, maybe he should could have tagged John in for a couple of these. I think we would have been better for it. Yes. So like content specifically, not even the point, just, it was a really good reminder to read the intro of first John and remember that there are different postures to operate in when discussing the things of God and that this is one that I personally have found very easy to lose and retreat from. And it was just really moving to read that first John intro in the middle of my grid (laughs) and just be reminded that, you know, the way we talk about God transcends grids that would make good seminary papers. (laughs) I think that like, just like uh, John uh, John's gospel sticks out like a sore thumb amidst mm-hmm. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. His letter, the first letter specifically, because I yeah. think the authorship of two and three, second and third John mm-hmm. are, are kind of, it's widely understood that that wasn't actually John writing it, but most people believe that first John was written by John who wrote the gospel of John mm-hmm. and Revelation. Uh, it, it makes perfect sense. If you look at the beginning of the gospel of John, you look at the beginning of this first letter of John, it, it, it's yeah. like, oh, this, this is from the same guy. It's in the same voice. The thing that caught me about this and the reason why I chose it was verse four, because mm. the purpose here is not so that we can be uh, more obedient uh, as a mm. church. The, 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 you know, the purpose is not so that we can better understand uh, you know, a specific doctrine or or better, um, you know, fall under the wing of the church as it was being built, but so that our joy may be complete. Yeah. Uh, to, to fully understand what it, what it must mean that the people that are telling you about this miraculous thing that Jesus did, that the people that are that are telling you about the gospel, 
are telling you this, not just so that they can tell you how great it was that they like met Jesus and they talked to him and they shook his hand and they saw him <laughs> after he, he was raised from the dead and like what a crazy thing that was. And it was really awesome. And, and now you gotta, you gotta listen to us. It's so that your joy can be complete. That to me is like the, the point of, mm-hmm. of uh, Christianity. I mean, that's the point of, of being a believer is so that you can, uh, you can, uh, be party to this joy that I yeah. don't believe can really be found anywhere else in understanding God as man uh, <laughs> came down to earth, gave himself for us. Uh, and what a joyful thing, uh, what a what a tragic thing at times, but what a j- joyful thing that actually is. Oh, I love that, that, that we're writing this not to stop you from doing something or to make a certain thing happen, which is just that we we are not done experiencing this until we have shared it and made community out of it and yeah. helped other people see mm-hmm. it. <laughs> I also think it's funny that John um, refers to the people that he's either giving the sermon to or writing to uh, as he refers to them as my little children. Yeah. Which is like so funny. I know. Me. It's like, yeah. And like the, the whole chapter one, like I ended up reading all the first John going this. Cause like, it's never clear when this intro, like when the greeting even really stops, it just kind of bounces back and forth. <laughs> and he seems to like go on a new track and then, yeah, it is transitioning straight from that long wacky intro to my little children. My little children. <laughs> And like authorship aside, Second John, I do like that the second and third ones, while they are less spooky, Second John still starts with the elder to the chosen lady, and that's like that's a cool intro. <laughs> I'm gonna start. Sounds by, like uh, um, some elf position. Right? I know, like that's the that's the um, the servant to Galadriel or something. Yeah, no, like I'm I'm GMing a Dungeons and Dragons game where this like noble family is leaving cryptic notes and that sounds like how one of those would start <laughs> you know um one of my favorite part i don't i i came up as an evangelical covenanter that was my particular flavor and i don't know how widespread this is across um church practice in general but one of my favorite parts was um when it would be like, all right, now let us uh, greet each other with the uh, mm-hmm. the Christian greeting, you know, and then we'd all be like, peace be with you. Uh-huh. Peace be with, with you. Peace you know? be with you. Mm-hmm. I, I loved that part because it was um, <laughs> uh, such a, a moment of intention, right? Like mm-hmm. here we're like, okay, you know, we've all... Like churches started, so we've all like greeted each other already. We've already been right. here for like over an hour and had coffee <laughs> and donuts and all that stuff. But now, like, let's take a minute and make sure that we all know that we're here to be a church body together. And you, so you do this like fake greeting, which <laughs> is more real, more meaningful than all the greetings you had done before that. And here <laughs> you guys describe, you know, uh, uh, Skip, I think you you observed quite interestingly, like, I don't know where the greeting stops, right? (laughs) And so it's like, what if the whole thing is just this greeting, right? Like, that's the whole purpose of this and the canon is just to demonstrate what the power of a greeting can do. (laughs) I love it. Mm. Um, But also... um, uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm very much a, a Platonist in my heart, <laughs> and uh, I, I like that. So that our joy may be complete. Part 
Because nothing's worse than somebody who like approaches their Christianity like, oh, brother, I have to like do all this dumb Christian bullshit, right? Believe <laughs> in God. Uh, uh, what a pain in the ass. I wish I were a sinner who could uh, uh, indulge in profligacy. You know, doing good should should be the thing you want to do, right? It should be the yes. best life. Like that's why you want to be a good person <laughs> because <laughs> you're happiest that way yeah. because you find it the most compelling thing to do. And if it's not, then either don't bother or like change something about yourself. <laughs> and this idea of, of our most complete joy is, is this experience of Christ. That's, that's good. I say, yes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. John. Amen. <laughs> uh, I I hate to cut that conversation short, but we have only gotten That's through good. one, and we need yeah. to. Yeah, brother, we there's so good. much more we, to do. Right. We didn't, then. What's next? We didn't need to plan seven backups. It turned out. No. <laughs> uh, this next prompt is an interesting up. one. This next prompt is an interesting <laughs> one because it uh, requires us uh, to do exactly what we just said that we shouldn't do in the last conversation we had, which was. <laughs> Uh, pick and choose uh, parts of the Bible that we, um, uh, this is, this is the, the prompt is, this is the passage that I just kind of skip over because it messes with one of my uh, foundational or most favorite beliefs. I do have to say pick and choose is a very good name for this segment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah. can, I can say with almost, you know, hundred percent certainty that we did not pick the same passages on this one. It seems like it's very, very unlikely our, that we did. Should we list our should we list our passages first? You go first. And then, yeah. All right. So mine was Matthew 25, 24 through twenty six. Okay, excellent. Uh, I picked uh, I picked Nahum one verse two. <laughs> all right, Nahum. Right at the beginning of Nahum, you're like, no, this this book ain't doing it for me. It's oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> Right, I chose Revelations 20. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Messing specifically with Revelation. That's a no-no <laughs> in any interpretation. Ooh. Uh. Oh. Oh, well, so I went we... first last time. Okay. I could go first on this one. I I have a lot of thoughts about mine. Yeah, let's bounce, let's bounce in and out of the of the New Testament here. So you go first. Okay. So mine is Matthew 25, 24, and 20, 24 through 26. This is the part of the gospel where Barabbas is released to the crowd. Uh, the text I have says, Now when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. You yourselves shall see. And all the people replied, his blood shall be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. And so I picked this one because I had a hard time, like, even thinking how to go about like this prompt, because a lot of the ones that I think are kind of expected, you know, like oh, the the trans girl is going to pick, you know, some of the gay clobber passages or something. But I feel like for those. <laughs> I don't actually ignore those. I have like my hermeneutic is just different than how they are traditionally read. Like they don't actually interrupt the basic hermeneutic with which I approach the Bible. Yeah, you got to meet them head on. <laughs> yeah, this is one that in my current way that I read things and the current way I want to posture myself towards the Bible, this one upsets me because when it comes to like the Old Testament, 
um, there was like I heard a sermon about the like the curse of Ham in Genesis where, you know, uh, Ham, Noah's son, is cursed. And you can read the translation that his skin was dark as part of the curse and that he is the father of all the Canaanites and that he will be a servant forever. And that that was a passage that has been used to justify a lot of harm. And um, there was an interesting commentary on it that said, basically, the reason that this verse historically, that passage historically, has been so useful as propaganda to justify genocidal or racialized violence is because it is a propaganda passage made to justify racialized violence because in the codifying of Genesis, it's, hey, this guy sucks and he's the father of the Canaanites. That's why it's so cool that we kill Canaanites. And, you know, like that was kind of in the DNA and that like how we deal with that is part of the journey of wrestling with scripture. And like, that's something I've come to terms with and I am okay with. And like, like I get it. I think it's a healthy, respectful and like way to read it, just acknowledging what it was for and what we knew and what what we know now. Um, I have recently been reading a lot of uh, a lot of Jewish writers and a lot of I've been I've ended up following a lot of like rabbis and other Jewish writers on Twitter because they started following me from some joke I made. And now I'm just kind of in this like I, I see a lot of discussions going on there. And this passage has come up a lot about how the writing in like when the when the author of Matthew writes this scene where Jesus is being handed over to the authorities. There's an explicit scene where the Roman authorities wash their hands of guilt and the Jews say, yeah, no, this was us, us and our children. It's our fault. Blame us for this forever. Hmm. And how it's not super surprising that, you know, for there that this among plenty of passages in the new Testament have been a very core foundation for genocidal anti-Semitic violence mm. and from like the cut, like from the stuff I've been reading and like the things that like they've been saying, like it's a, it's not a stretch to believe that this was written to transfer guilt from the Roman authorities to the Jews. And as part of a like way to essentially make this message more palatable to a government religion. Um, but even, even without that specifically, just the fact that like when it comes to the older stuff, it's probably just arrogance on my part. It's probably a little just historical chauvinism and probably inherent anti-Semitism. that like, yeah, of course the old Testament has shitty parts that we got to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I but still should have known better when Jesus. <laughs> <was around. laughs> right. Right. Like that's like, and that like, that's a, that's a posture inside me. And this messes with it. Like, I don't want to think that the gospel also has that problem. Because kind of like Ian was saying in the Galatians part, like and just kind of early, especially earlier, is when you think, OK, no, like this is the part that as long as we like, figure this part out and read it right and do what it says, like, we'll be good. Mm. And I'm not ready to not think that yet. And so this th- there's more and more passages like this that just kind of freak me out and I have it on the back burner of my brain to process and learn how to deal with this in the future. (laughs) 
Skip, I tell you truly, you've like shaken me a little bit here. I'm thinking of like what's ringing in my head is this idea that that this passage may have been part of constructing this as a more palatable state religion. It's, yeah. I just see this like echoing out time and time again, even into our more present moment, yeah. like how trying to organize this as a palatable state religion is what moves it into this hateful, exclusionary, yeah. repressive practice. Huh. Yeah. And like the part that's been shaking me is just that like reading like the Jewish writers, almost every like practicing modern Jew that comments on New Testament writing is like, yeah, no, obviously that's what this was. And like both in the writing and both in just y'all have been doing that with it for a couple thousand years now. <laughs> uh, did you happen to like cross reference against the other gospels to see if this passage is as uh, maybe incendiary in the other? Um, not on this reading. I forget which is uh, what changes and what and what's not in it. So I don't know off the top of my head kind of what the language tweaking may have been. Because it's interesting because Matthew is the the gospel that was angled towards a, a Jewish audience, right? It's the one that frequently calls yeah. towards uh, Old Testament scripture and, and frequently calls to the Jewish tradition and mm-hmm. says, <laughs> yeah, see, this is the new way. Don't you see all these signs? And right. then you get this pivot here where it's like, uh, actually, so we shouldn't have done this. Maybe we shouldn't have done right. this. Right. Is that even a pivot, though? Because if this being the one to the quote unquote Jewish audience it is also the one making the case that, yeah, we should be angry at the Jews that are not on board because <laughs> that's a good point. Because like, like I've made the case here. These guys rejected the case. So they're the problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a very good point. I mean, I guess it's not really it. it if the point was to um, to bring people in from an existing faith tradition by calling upon their traditions and then saying, but also look here's the here's the you know the the sign that we've been waiting for here are the different uh, mm-hmm. prophecies that called for this very thing that 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 now we're seeing in action in in real life you know here in front of us anyone that is is missing the point or anyone that that is uh, calling to to tear down uh the king yeah. you know jesus is is obviously in the wrong and 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 is to blame for so many other things that that could have gone wrong. Yeah. But yeah, so this is the one that I have just kind of a bookmark into. Like, I got to come back to this one when I am emotionally prepared to think through the consequences. Of this. <laughs> Nahum. <laughs> Nahum. Okay, but it's this is like uh, when you hear the passage. Uh-huh. This this makes perfect sense why I would pick it. And it's not <laughs> unique, really, in the prophets, major or minor. It's not a, a, a unique idea. I think it's just the way that it's worded specifically uh, here that is especially um, b- problematic to me. That's the nicest way that I can say it. I just don't, I don't, <laughs> I, um, it kind of makes me viscerally angry when I read it. And, and so I'll read it now and then I'll get angry about it. The header in the ESV is uh, God's wrath against Nineveh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Uh, No. (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) False. 
All right, speak for yourself. I might look a little vengeance on my enemies right now. <laughs> yes, we do. We're human beings. <laughs> We're human beings. That sort of, of jealousy, that sort of wrath is safe for people that are that are fallen, that are broken like we are. I do not believe that this is the way that God operates in this world. Uh, and just like you said, that there are passages that were used as a foundation for uh, for genocidal acts that the chosen people acted out. I think that again, this is this is just kind of um, to me this this feels like uh, God is angry and wrathful and jealous when we want Him to be angry uh. and wrathful and jealous. And uh, otherwise, God is uh, love. God is full of love. <laughs> God has n- nothing but uh, you know, done nothing but give us. Uh, all of these gifts, gift, the gift of life, the gift of this beautiful world that we're living in, and isn't that great? But if you do something that's gonna that's gonna make him go, hey, wait a second, you're you're gonna feel it. I I've never I don't know, and and my theology on this has kind of changed over the the course of my sort of conversion, but I really have the most difficult time imagining a God, a Creator of the world, all knowing and all loving that would use the power that God has to uh, simply cause pain and destruction. Have I, any of y'all, have either of y'all seen a Star Trek, the show? I've, right. Not, like, I've seen some. Sper- it's yeah, a lot, seen, right? Yeah, I've never watched all the way through. Okay. But you're no. familiar with the concept, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. So the creator of this show, Gene Roddenberry, one of his visions for this show starting out was that he did not want any like interpersonal conflict on the bridge of the starship between the Starfleet officers. He was like, this is about utopia. These guys are beyond like petty infighting. That's not the source of drama in the show. It's always like a different problem. Humanity has solved um, its um, uh, bellicose nature. And Uh, For a while, this was something that I really admired about the show. It's a show with vision, right? Like they're Mm -hmm. trying to think of utopia. They're trying to think of something that doesn't exist. But recently, somebody put it in my head that maybe that's the wrong perspective because Mm -hmm. we think about utopia, even from a Christian concept, right? Like I don't think that this necessarily means a world where people are fundamentally changed, where like we no longer have the desire to sin. Uh, You know, I'm kind of um, anticipating myself a little bit here for my revelations part, but I think that this (laughs) would mean a change in us that makes us no longer us. What might Mm. be a little more interesting if you want to explore an idea of utopia would be, well, how would there be criminals and yet you don't punish them? Like, of course, there are still going to be people who do the wrong thing, but in utopia, there's no jail. There's no, there's no punishment. <laughs> it's not a carceral, punitive society. And so, um, you know, I, I bring all this up to say, like, I, I don't know, I'm, I, I'm really angry about a lot of stuff. I think <laughs> that um, the more and more my years advance, the angrier and angrier I get. And... I would be lying if I didn't say that I haven't prayed for vengeance or a smiting Mm. of my enemies recently, earnestly, Mm. truly, (laughs) from the bottom of my heart. Um, But, Ariel, I think that, um, you know, you're you're pointing out something that I think is fundamentally correct, that, 
the challenge really is to, I, I think that, I think it's, at least, how about this? In my experience, there's always been a little something about Christianity that I've been drawn to because it's easy, right? Like, okay, problem solved. I don't need to worry about death. I don't need to worry about morality or whatever. Like, here it all is. Here are the answers. Now I understand. Now I get it. But this is really something that challenges you. And maybe that's good. You know, I don't know how... We, we don't want God to be wrathful and vengeful, do we? <laughs> so, like, what then? What, what are we going to do about our enemies? <laughs> yeah. No, I think that that's, like, the easy response to this, right, is that, um, well, so what about people that do something wrong? Shouldn't, shouldn't a God that loves us uh, act in some way hostile towards um, acts that hurt us? Uh, and, and I guess my answer to that would be that— uh, I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> and I know that that's a cop-out. But ultimately, I, I don't know that there is a convincing, uh, there's a convincing way to, for me to look at um, passages like this or passages wherever there is um, civil unrest or political uh, issues, uh, warfare of any kind in the Old Testament that doesn't seem to me to be mired in human emotion, to be mired in human politics, to um, ultimately be too convenient of a solution uh, that, oh, well, that's just what God wanted and, and that's that. Uh, I, to me, that doesn't, it doesn't pencil that, that God would be keeping score and going, well, these guys are better this month, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the, their enemies a, 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 a plague. And then, you know, these guys were actually better this month, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cause these folks to, to lose their firstborn. And, and it just... Uh, it's, it's not the act of an all-knowing, all-powerful, and loving God to be, uh, to be executing personal and political grudges on earth. Yeah, I, I mean, I, especially when it comes to the prophets, especially like a lot of the minor prophets that existed around that, I don't know, around that exilic period when the people that they're speaking about are Nineveh, when they're Assyria, when it's Babylon. I feel like when viewed especially as an outpouring of the grief and the collective trauma and the like correct anger at injustice that those, you know, the systems that captured them elicit, I, I, I feel like, I guess it's just, it's easier for me to like control for that, that like, this is the way that, you know, the prophetic language was a national collective expression of that. Like given what they'd been through and given what had been done to them, it's, I guess it's a little easier for me to read something like Nahum with the kind of like, fuck the police vibe that I think <laughs> it kind of comes with it. You know, that there is a, you know, it is a lashing out at the, enemies that have done them this generational traumatic harm that's going to be with them for centuries. Mm -hmm. um, the actual, like, the way that it's taken as, like, yeah, no, this is what God does when people get, get nasty enough. Like, I, I agree. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't read it that way. I don't think that's a good way to read it. But, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting that just kind of how the how the interpretations play out and just like what to do with all the smiting 
because I, <laughs> but what you know, of the smiting? Right. Like, you don't <laughs> I, I think we go too far when we remove wrath from God. But mm. how to decouple it from kind of these older understandings of, well, the tornado hit mm. him. So I guess that was God. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. We don't want to decouple wrath from God. Hmm. <laughs> so speaking of wrath. Yeah. Yes. 2011. <laughs> then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You picked a doozy. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, uh, on Jan- I was at the thing on January 6th, not participating. Um, <laughs> attention, FBI, I was not participating. <laughs> but... There was a moment um, when I, like Rudy Giuliani was going on stage and suddenly this crowd like formed really quickly and I got like sandwiched in this Mm. massive group of people and I was like fighting to get my way out. And after everything had happened, I was at home and I was like, I have COVID. (laughs) There's no (laughs) way. (laughs) I did not get it from that event. And I had just moved to D.C. I was a broke little grad student and I was all alone. And for two weeks, that's all I could think about was like having COVID. And I was thinking about how disruptive this would be to my lifestyle, how difficult it would be to find affordable medical treatment. And there was a moment during those two weeks where I was staying up late and sitting on my bed and thinking, if I've got it, I'm just going to have to kill myself. Like, Jeez. it is, this is something that I, I, I'm, I'm afraid of surviving it. Like, what the long-lasting <laughs> effects may be, and I'm not sure that I'm brave enough to handle that. And I have been thinking a lot about coming to that decision since then. And what it means to die. And it has troubled me, right? Like, Hmm. okay, so this is the passage that we ignore, right? (laughs) So, you know, I think think that everybody here knows that I feel comfortable taking a liberal interpretation to the (laughs) Bible. But the question of death... And the resurrection is one that I really just cannot come to a satisfying conclusion Mm. on. Because, like, when I think of death, like, something in my process stopping, how, how can, how can, okay, here we go, right? How can you die and be resurrected and still be the same person? 
Mm. It doesn't make mm. sense to, if you stop and you're started <laughs> again, then it's not you. <laughs> and I mean, I know that I have a limited, finite human brain and that we're talking about maybe the power of God, which can overcome any mortal temporal conundrum and that why like, okay, if uh, Christ can turn water into wine and God can make water spring from the stones, why can't he snap his fingers? And it really is the thing that is me mm -hmm. that comes back and continues. <laughs> but I mean, that's just, that's a really challenging thought, right? Like everything mm -hmm. that we know about our self, about our experience of the world around us is so rooted in some kind of continuous process going on in our brain. And it's difficult for me to square that circle. Like, is this mm -hmm. reincarnation? If it's reincarnation, it's not me. If I'm resurrected into some kind of like a God body, then it's not me. Mm. If something about me changes that like I don't desire the same things, then it's not yeah. me. None of this is me. I'm stopping. And that, I, I, I don't have a good answer for it. <laughs> I don't like it. Then there's the whole lake of fire business. I wrote down here. I wrote down <laughs> here. Minor detail. <laughs> right. I, I, like going back to what Ariel just said, um, I wrote down, I'm not ontologically comfortable with the resurrection and I'm not ethically comfortable with punishment. So it's everything that makes me not want to believe uh, in God. <laughs> I read this and I'm like, ah, this sucks. I, I can't deal with it. I've got no answers. I don't like it any, any way. It, it scares me, to be honest. I, I, at this point, I think it would be better if I can just die and not be anymore. Then it's like, all right, problem solved. I don't have to worry about it. It's like the upload your, oh, this is a total tangent. Right. Please cut this ash. But it's like the upload your brain to a computer thing. Like, how can, how right. can you say that? It's not well, you anymore. <laughs> right. No, if we're, Why can't they if upload we're going it when you're still alive, then you wouldn't be right. thinking in the fucking computer. Oh, anyway. Right. No, that's where like, if we're going to go on like sci-fi tangents about it, I think one of the first times I had an existential crisis was when someone was talking to me in like junior high about like, you know, a teleporter kills you, right? And then it just builds a copy of you on the other side. Like, you died, and it's a copy of you on the other side. <laughs> uh, there, was a, there was a Star Trek episode, too, where, like, it forgot to delete the first one, and now there's two of them. And it's, like, just, like, that existential, like, when is it you? Yeah, when does it yeah. stop being you? Now there's two of you. <laughs> That's, like, a unanswerable that's a big yeah. unanswerable question is when do you say what is you um yeah. that i think that common christian thinking is that like we are not our bodies right mm -hmm. we are our souls uh and our soul is this unique thing to us right. that um you know carries on into eternity be that um in heaven or in purgatory if that's your school of thought or in the lake of fire or hell or whatever it is you consider to be the the alternative to to uh you know eternity in paradise but uh the <laughs> the the raising of the dead thing is a, a deeply difficult thing to imagine here because yeah. it's not saying uh the recently dead 
those that have died and their bodies are still intact and and it wouldn't be like super weird for them to be raised, then that's <laughs> when the judgment would. But here it's saying all of those that have mm. ever died for the entirety of history will be called forth and judged based upon what they've done in their lives. And uh, and it doesn't leave a lot of room for uh, for contrition uh, in uh, forgiveness. <laughs> it doesn't leave a lot of room for you know those things that that we have done that we knew that we did wrong that may you know that we have confessed and and hopefully move forward in our lives because isn't that the whole reason that Jesus died was so that our sins could be forgiven if we if we were if we were contrite uh, <laughs> then then what. <laughs> huh. But yeah, and that's just, I have to say, it's fascinating. I've never considered outside, uh, like even not thinking of the possibility of eternal conscious torment, just the Christian view of resurrection as existentially terrifying and just like resurrection and its interaction with basically the teleporter paradox is something that has never occurred to me. And that's really fascinating. <laughs> what an, like, uh, like, what like, an like image it's a, is like, painted yeah, here, too. Because it's a posture, like, I haven't seen a, before a posture where complete death, you know, complete non-existence is the comforting out. Not because it's better than torment, but about your essence being tampered with is just disturbing. <laughs> It is this. This is a disturbing image. I mean, uh, armies I, I, of the dead raised and judged <laughs> and cast into the lake of fire. What a terrifying thing to think about. That's why, if you want to get real, uh, I don't know, you want to get real uh, boring and uh, liberal readings of it. It's uh, if you want to just take Revelation as like cathartic political apocalypse. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, no, the imagery is is something. Yeah. I'll tell you that the best I've come up with to like reckon with this is that, oh God, this sounds so fucking stupid. Um, <laughs> that, you know, whatever is next, like grappling with that is just going to be the next part of the Christian faith. Yeah. You know, and like just as we're grappling with stuff here now, maybe we shouldn't expect that heaven is going to be different than that. Hmm. And I don't know that it makes me feel better, but, you know, like I said, this is all mystic, crazy bullshit, right? So, like, I mean, it's, who knows what that, any of it means? The thing that helps me, like, reconcile a passage like this in my own faith, which is sort of deeply not orthodox and, and sort of <laughs> messes with all kinds of details and scripture and things like that, is that perhaps— uh, should should the uh, should the 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 ideal outcome happen where we are moved on into eternity with God in heaven, that that joy uh, is is so great that the terrifying idea of uh, <laughs> billions and billions and billions of dead bodies being resurrected and judged might just be worth it. But that's uh, God again, willing. yeah. Okay. How about something lighter? Should we? Are we doing the office door? This is our final. Yeah, we are. Okay. Uh, explain it to us. Uh, what's the prompt? <laughs> can you can you read the full 
uh, the full prompt because I forgot the exact wording. Okay. Of, um, I wrote, uh, I have the prompt as the passage you would hang on your office door. Ariel, what office are you imagining for this? <laughs> uh, maybe I should maybe I should say what I chose first, and then you can kind of put together. Okay, what, all right, what I'm office. fine with that. I'm fine. All right, with so that. we list our verses. <laughs> yes, uh, my office. The, the passage I would hang above my office door is Colossians three mm. twenty three. This is a very normie selection for this <laughs> for this prompt. So I'm excited to hear what you two chose. All right. Habakkuk 2 2. <laughs> oh, God. All right. And I did James 5, 3 and 4. Yeah, very cool. Okay. Three different ones. Yeah. All right. I like this. So I like I like Ian's question. So Errol, do you want to go first and just say what office are you imagining and then explain? What okay, so is doing for uh, from a from a personal perspective, I have a job that I don't necessarily fully feel like is my calling in life. Mm. Right, <laughs> like most of us, like most of us, we just do the job that we're supposed to do. It's the thing that that makes the money that we need to keep a roof over our heads and and um, be able to do a podcast every week and so on and so <laughs> forth. So this is as God intended in my mind, <laughs> in my mind, just very truly uh, a a boring, the most boring of office jobs that you could possibly imagine. Should I read it or or should we yeah, all go for say it. Why? go for it? Okay. No, go for it. So Colossians three, verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Uh, honestly, again, this is an easy one, and I chose it because it helps me reconcile, in my mind, uh, continuing to do something that maybe is not uh, a passion of mine or something that I really truly feel connected to in any deep way, um, but is um, it's a, this sort of passage is a reminder that uh, even if our job is a menial or uh, what sometimes feels like stupid task, that ultimately uh, anything that we do in our lives as Christians, if we do it in a way that is God honoring, and uh, and and sort of exhibit the the um, the nature of grace and forgiveness and love that Jesus portrayed in His lifetime, then we are um, then we are working for the Lord, and the job that we actually have as um, as a occupation is not what's important. Amen. Well said. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, that's good because you know, like I, I always, I always appreciated, and kind of in my in my short list, I always appreciated like the passages where Paul talks about like you know, like he, he made tents while he was working here because you got to eat, <laughs> you yeah. know. And I one of my favorite Paul passages is when he does his exegesis on the 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 law that you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads its grain, meaning that like people deserve to partake in the fruit of their labor <laughs> and you know, like that, that kind of, I don't know, the work ethic that's kind of present there, even if it's not the big flashy epistle writing, founding and spreading a religion part of it, you know, that it's all necessary. It's all holy. If you do it, you know, mm. with the right attitude. And someday we may be called to do something that we feel mm -hmm. is greater or more spiritually significant. But mm -hmm. for right now, maybe what you do is you, 
clean trash out of ditches and in, and in that do it in a way that honors God, just like you would do any task or, or job. That, right. Cause eventually, you know. well, like, especially also just with the whole point of like we were talking at the beginning, if we are doing this to create the kingdom of God, to create the community of believers, eventually we are just doing community with one another and somebody is cooking yes. for people and somebody is cleaning the streets and we are all pitching in to make life go. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I was just about, very well said, Skip. I was just about to say, we should be so lucky that our job is to clean uh, trash out of ditches, right? Like what happens if your job is um, you work at a call center for a student debt loan (laughs) collection agency, right? Or what happens if you work... for to like writing ad copy for the Amazon fulfillment, whatever, something or like that, <laughs> right? Or Halliburton, like then you're really like in a spiritual quandary. And I think, but you know, um, even in uh, uh, contemporary progressive politics, there's this question of when are you like guilty for your job and trying to right. parse out like where. Where does culpability end in corporate America? And I think that, you know, something that we're kind of like what what Skip was saying, like this can be um, a rallying cry for us as Christians is that we should imagine a world. We should we should work towards a world where work cannot be construed in these kinds of terms, you know, where there's no unethical work. (laughs) That's lovely. Yeah. I mean, I think that Mm -hmm. there, I I don't know what the line is that you cross, right? There's got to be some kind of work that people do out there that is uh, other than like a hitman or something that that is like (laughs) beyond the pale of what you can possibly do as God honoring work. But I Uh, would be really interested to talk to somebody who's, who's, and I did, I did do in my past life, I did accounts receivable for a while and it was, it was business to business. It wasn't personal debt, but it did feel at times like, wow, this sucks. Like well, I suck. I hate this. Yeah. Well, I don't uh, shall do we, this. I have collected a debt or two in my life. <laughs> yeah. But I was about to say on that note, shall we move to mine? Because hi everyone. This is Sam from the future being graciously edited in here to give a disclaimer and a reminder that the examples I use in this conversation are hypothetical and they are hyperbolic and that the opinions I express in this conversation are solely mine and not those of my employer or the Society of Actuaries. Thank you. I am an actuary and I work in health insurance pricing. Um, so, you know, the healthcare industry in America is one that is hard to feel good about participating in. And... You know, there's I have complicated thoughts about all of it. There are definitely, especially when I was directly in a pricing role, there are days I did not feel good about myself because mm. when you are doing free market capitalist health care, you are making the pricing calls and looking at your groups and going, OK, we got to correct the risk on this block. This per- this group had a cancer claim, so they get a 40 percent increase. Hopefully they drop us. and you know like when you're when you're doing that it's tough and like my my role now is not directly as as directly involved with that but still like i'm on the finance side of things now and i'm doing the the you know the forecasting and the 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 revenue reports and and all of this and as i continue to climb the finance ladder like there are 
like you said, it's it's tough to find where the line is when culpability starts. I am getting the sense that it's I'm uh, maybe a rung or two away from it. <laughs> I it is giving me it's giving me things to think about, and I am in the process of trying to pivot my career more towards either policy or like a government or a nonprofit or something. Inshallah. Like I am, mm. I am. I am at the level where I am only a couple steps away from probably not being able to feel good about it at all, which probably means I shouldn't feel good about it now. Yeah, but, climb very slowly, though. Right. <laughs> you, yes. Right. Yeah, I like feel yeah, it as out. As long as you but don't that cross is, that threshold, totally ethically fine. Right. <laughs> right. But that's why the verse I chose, as I imagine myself, the office I'm imagining myself in is an insurance company's corner office. And the verse I chose is James 5, 3, and 4, which is, Your gold and silver have rusted, and the rust will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up, you have laid up treasure for the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Amen. <laughs> Amen. That's and the longest plaque that's ever. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a banner. And I like I want that on my wall and I want to have to read that every day before I decide if I do the things I do. <laughs> I want this reminder that the that as a goal the hoarding of wealth is an evil goal (laughs) (laughs) and that i will eventually hit a point where that's all i'm doing as i continue on you know the path that's expected of me Hmm. in the in the you know in the in the company i'm starting to keep and i don't want to forget the goal of community mm. that this, you know, that, that I anchor myself to this faith for to this, this better community, this better way of being around one another that, mm. you know, it's like, it's not a simple equation. You, you know, there's the, there's the, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism argument that all of us are doing something exploitative to participate in this life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't want to ever become okay with that. And when I am on this trajectory where, you know, a lot of people's end goal they're pointing to is like a CFO of some fortune 50 company. Like, I don't, I don't know if there's a way I could ethically be a CFO of a fortune 50 company. And like, I'm not saying that there is definitively not one, but in my currently, in my current understanding, I would I would be betraying the thing I thought God wanted of me to continue in exactly the direction that I'm on. And I this is the verse that is in, you know, that is in the insurance company corner office in my head and hopefully will be a reminder to keep an eye out for being part of making healthcare more equitable and not just not just joining the social circles of people whose well-being depends on it staying inequitable. Mm. You know, we give Marx a lot of credit for um, <laughs> pointing out some kind of inherent conflict and um, a contradiction in this idea of profit, right? Like, how can there be surplus value in 
and labor. But then 1800 years before him or whatever, like here's the book saying like, don't amass wealth. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I know we're not going to get to this, so I'm going to spoil one of our alternate prompts, uh-huh. which was uh, passages that you quote to people when they tell you that Christianity is counter-revolutionary. Uh-huh. And this was the passage I chose for that Oh, prompt, really? Actually. Nice. Yeah. I felt like, I, I, I think, like, I don't know, I, it's probably a sign of where I am ethically with my career that I had a big overlap between those two lists. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's going to be part two, right? Uh, I think there's going to be part six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. I I've had a, a <laughs> wonderful willing. time doing God this, willing. but we Same let's here. not Same skip here. ahead yet. Yeah, yeah. All right, Ian, what's okay, your office please. in your verse? Uh, okay, my office. So unlike y'all, my job is good. Uh, and uh, right now, I'm working as a temporary academic advisor to uh, underprivileged and first-generation college students. Um, and hopefully soon, I will be a PhD student in theology at Villanova University, but I'll keep you guys in the loop about that. Um, but, but so my, I know what my office is, right? Like my office is going to be um, uh, uh, where Professor Mooney uh, uh, teaches uh, heterodox biblical interpretation or whatever. <laughs> um, so anyway, I'll, I'll, read, I'll read the passage and I'll, I'll tell you guys why I came to it. Uh, so I chose, um, Habakkuk chapter two, verse two, but I'm skipping the first line and I'm just taking, write the vision, make it plain on tablets. So he may run who reads it. (laughs) And I chose that. I love that. I chose that, um, for two reasons. One is obvious, right? So, um, it's referencing the written word. Mm-hmm. What nicer to like have? Uh, I, I'm a I'm in the academy, right? What nicer yeah. to have above my door than God saying, uh, "Right, write it down. Write what you're thinking." Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a nice um, thing to uh, remind your students. Keep writing. Always be writing. Um, but uh, I also choose it because um, I think it is a delightful thing to encounter from God. Uh, Chapter one of Habakkuk is him really bringing up some good points, right? He's like, God, (laughs) this sucks. Like our enemies uh, whip ass. Uh, All of our people uh, really suck. Like life is bad. I cannot fathom how it's going to get better. What? What When are you going to do something Mm -hmm. about this? And God does not respond angrily. Like, how dare mm-hmm. you? Rep- I, I mean, again, imagine, imagine you can actually, <laughs> imagine you can actually talk to God, <laughs> mm. right? Like, let's step into the fantasy zone here for a minute. Um, and you aren't so uh, embarrassed and afraid that you'll actually like complain <laughs> to God. Right. <laughs> uh, and God does not like immediately vaporize you for your impertinence. God doesn't (laughs) apologize. God doesn't tell you that things are going to get better at all. All God says is write it down. Like the implication being 
ex- like express yourself the, the, that yeah things things could be any kind of way the only thing you can do about it is try to reflect on this process try to get something out of it yourself and then present it hopefully with the with the intention of maybe helping somebody else get something out of it or to, or to create something different than what's going on around you like this is a this is god affirming the power of art to mm-hmm. impact our lives and to to bring divine wisdom god's not saying what the answer is but that whatever the answer may be it's going to come in this form and that's what you must practice and um i think that's a that's a I think that's a good thing for a, a professor to be putting out there. It's professing, right? Yeah. <laughs> God says profess. So there you go. Uh, you know what I like about this is that it says make it plain on tablets. Yeah. <laughs> Don't write in a way that people are going to be able to take what you're saying and misinterpret it and, <laughs> and, and, and leave parts out that they might not like or maybe <laughs> misconstrue things or take things out of context. Yeah, plain. God needs to follow some of their own writing advice here. Y'all know what I'm saying. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful selection. I think it's it's perfect for for someone in in academics because that is that's yeah. the that's the uh, that's the call in in that uh, in that passage is to yep, you know yep. and I'm not going to solve this for you but maybe in some way expressing this and and you know getting God's word out and and you know maybe that's maybe that's the way that we move this message forward. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, like I said at the beginning of our little meeting here, um, I I really got into your project when I started listening to the solo episodes, and I mean, but what what is there to what is there to do about one of the one of the things we grappled with today was what about the ones that we just don't have an answer for, and mm-hmm. you know, I don't think that we answered them and i don't know if we really even made any progress <laughs> on <laughs> answering them but you know we we wrote about it yeah. i feel like i made it plain as plain as i could make it <laughs> i made nothing plain i made everything obscure <laughs> and obtuse <laughs> i'm coming away more confused i think <laughs> Uh, do we have any closing thoughts? I mean, obviously, we're going to do another one of these, right? Because I had an amazing time. I, I hope that you two did as Most well. Most definitely. The, yeah, no, this I, was I, this awesome. Was, this was very good. Uh, so the energy in the room is pretty similar to what you'll experience on uh, our weekly Bible study that we do as a group yeah. on, the, on, on the Discord. Uh, if you join the Patreon, uh, patreon.com backslash transregretsnoopy. Uh, go to an incognito window if you're worried about someone seeing your <laughs> browser history and going, what the hell is this? Uh, but <laughs> Are you doing a Bible study, you lame idiot? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's $5 a month. And not only does it get you access to the Discord and all the amazing community that we have here, but you'll get two bonus episodes a month and we do a movie night. Usually once a month, uh, it's I'm to the point where I'm going to do a movie night with a four hour long movie that has been suggested to me that I can't um, 
I can't get to stream correctly on my television. So we will uh, look into that as a possibility for, for this month, I think. Yes, um, amazing people on the Discord. In addition to me and Skip, there are amazing people. Not just these <laughs> two, I promise. If these two bothered you, it's not just yeah. going to be them. <laughs> I promise. But imagine coming to Bible study and hearing this and getting to call us heretics during the conversation. And which you should. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, definitely have, encourage. We, we have need more all, orthodox people on the <laughs> server. <laughs> Do you have a poem? Do you want us to pray? Were you done plugging? Uh, I was done plugging. Why don't you two shout your stuff out one more time, and then I'm going to hit pause because I don't have a poem, but I'm going to grab <laughs> one really quickly. I promise it, it'll take me 30 seconds. Okay. Yep. So I don't have uh, about the same as last time I was here. Uh I have a website. It's skipsandwichdx.com. Uh, the name's a long story. It's from a video game. Um, but that's where um, I have a blog there. I keep a record of my podcast appearances there. Um, and I do a lot of yapping on Twitter. Uh, handle is at skip sandwich. If you want to see my hot takes and hilarious jokes on there. <laughs> uh, I would like to plug the power of yeast. Uh, I've been doing a lot of brewing lately. Uh, it's pretty easy to get into yourself, and the rewards are a thousandfold. Um, and you get to engage with something living and ancient. Uh, this is Ian Mooney heartily endorsing yeast. You heard it here. Can, can we add like old timey radio com radio, radio commercial music to that in the background? <laughs> this is Ian Mooney. With yeast. Here, yep. Listen here, folks. I'm here to tell you about yeast. Yeast, it's alive. <laughs> uh, this week's poem is an excerpt from a zine by Al Buran, who, uh, if anyone hasn't checked out the, um, his, his band Mile Marker, I would definitely recommend checking cool, them out. Man. They're wonderful. Great band from Chicago. And uh, this zine is titled Things Are Meaningless. Uh, and this is an excerpt from that. Seven days in a row once when I lived in Portland. I'm not saying there were seven consecutive days during which at some point it rained. I'm saying that there was a 168-hour period during which it was constantly raining. There would be the occasional 10-minute lull wherein you had just enough time to haul ass down the street to the space room or some other nearby den of ill repute before the water would barrel down again and you'd be consigned to a couple of days hanging out at the space room, loaded and depressed. Sleep, desperation, drinking and sloth. Only those who have spent some time in the Northwestern United States can understand the ominous undertones in the Olympia Brewing Company's slogan. It's the water. Thanks everybody. I'm at my best when I'm trying to look and think and talk and sing and read and write like all the rest. We're all just trying to play our roles In a play that runs ad nauseum I hate this damn enlightenment We were better off as animals Right? We're at our best when it's from our hips just feels good and that's no sin It's the only way to be
feel alive The closest thing to being 